Good afternoon, podcast listeners. This is Rob Plouffe. Welcome back to Mid-Michigan Bowling News, the podcast for bowlers in the greater Flint area and the state of Michigan. Okay, welcome to podcast number 25. It is Saturday, November 21st, 2020. Um, We are now into day number three of another shutdown for bowling centers in the state of Michigan. And uh, I have a special guest with me today, Mr. Brian Aubuchon from Holly Lanes. How are you doing, Rob? Good, how are you? I'm good. Um, thank you for coming out, opening your center today and sitting down with me and doing a podcast. I want to get your your take on uh, what's going on in the bowling industry here in, in Michigan at Holly Lanes for sure. Um, we're going we're gonna to spend a good hour here talking about your bowling center, your baby here. That's right. And... Um, We'll talk, we'll talk about some high school bowling. We'll talk about some of your fundraisers. So um, first things first, I suspect you're going to talk for a little while on this, but I want to know, how did you get here to be the owner-proprietor of Holly Lanes? What a, what a, what a story that is. Um, it kind of starts back in 1989. I walked into a local bowling alley, Avon Recreation, which was in Rochester Hills, which is now uh, Barnes & Noble. And I told the guy at the counter, I said, I want a job. And he looked at me and goes, how old are you, kid? And I said, well, I'm 11. He goes, what, do you, what can you do? I said, I don't know. I'm 11. And I would wipe the tables down and uh, clean the chrome. A chrome was my favorite job. And uh, sweeping the approaches. I love sweeping the approaches. And then I'd bowl in the league. And then once the youth league was done, I'd work all afternoon, bowl some more before the adult league started. I'd go home and I'd do that Saturday and Sunday uh, until basically I was running the place at uh, about 16. And I had a pretty good mentor. His name's Tom Langan. They, the Langan family owns a number of bowling centers uh, in southeast lower Michigan. And um, I had the opportunity at a very young age to become a partner of theirs and buy my own bowling center. They owned it, and they brought me in as a partner. I was the operating partner, and I was the, the idea behind it was I was going to buy them out and fix the place up and, and make it a go. It was called Eastland Bowling Center in Bay City. Big old beast of a bowling center, 48 lanes. The building was 80,000 square feet. Uh, I remember going into my uh, Liquor Control Commission hearing. I had just turned 21. And the guy goes, man, you are 21 years old literally to the day. He goes, what makes you think you're responsible enough to sell alcohol? I said, man, I've been drinking alcohol for years. This is no problem. (laughs) Uh, They didn't like that. The lawyers didn't like that. And I got told to shut up pretty fast. But uh, we... We made it work, and then um, growing up, I was always an avid bowler, so I loved bowling. I was, I think I was pretty good at, at some point, like 13, 14, 15, I had about a 185 to 190 average. Back then, late late 80s, early 90s, that, that was, was a, that was that a was pretty good. good score, especially for a kid. Heck yeah. I know in the youth, uh, before it was even the Coke tournament, it was the youth, uh, Michigan State Youth Tournament, I believe they called it. Um, I shot my first 700 at 13. I shot 709. So I thought I was pretty good. Um, I still remember that. Yeah, oh yeah. It, to, to the day. Uh, two, 263 was my first game. And then everybody, I had little patches on my on my shirt. And I still have the shirt. doesn't quite fit anymore, <laughs> but I still got it. Um, but I wanted to be a bowler. And I worked in bowling my whole life. And I, I just loved it. So the opportunity to buy a center and really make a goal of it is what I wanted to do. And I was taking classes at Saginaw Valley State, and there was a flyer say, "Hey, join the bowling team." And uh, the famous Dan Dorian was the coach, 
and they had practiced uh, several times out at the center that I owned. And so I invited them in for an extra practice, and they said, hey, you know, coach, I want to I be on this team. I want to bowl for Saginaw. And he goes, yep, we have three teams, A, B, and C. You work your way up. And uh, I worked, I bowled with the C team for about a week and realized that uh, I just wasn't that good. But I was more focused on the bowling side of it than I was, or the proprietorship side, owning it, than I was bowling in it. And I actually had a really nice conversation uh, with Parker Bowling all people and I said you know what are your thoughts if you if you could go back in time and say hey if you were going to buy a bowling center versus bowling in one they said you know you'll make way more money than bowling buying one than you will bowling in one he goes that's what I can tell you he goes I have passion for bowling obviously so I bowl he goes and I'm pretty good at it yeah, he's, he's pretty good so back in the day when you were at Saginaw Valley who some of the bowlers that bowled there? Uh, Scotty Weston was there for a little. I don't know if he bowled for the team. Um, Smallwood was not bowling for the team, but he was there. Uh, Dale Strike was out there. So a lot of bowlers, not necessarily bowling on the team, but a lot of big names came out of Bay City, especially back then. Oh, yeah. um, Smalls wasn't quite to the pro level yet, but he took a lot of money from me at Monitor Lanes on Saturday night for uh, King of the Hill because I always, I always went over and donated. Um, <laughs> I made match play once, and that didn't end well either. But, uh, yeah, a lot of guys up there. Johnny Mazza uh, owned uh, Bay Lanes at the time. So there was just a lot, a lot of talent up there. And I remember trying to get some of those bowlers into my center. So I hosted a challenge one night, the 48-lane challenge, where you throw one ball in every lane. You don't know the oil condition. And I said, you know, if any, yeah, I said, if you can throw 380 or higher, I'll give you a thousand bucks. And they started and everyone was on a different lane. And I know Smallwood and Weston were at like 350 with a couple frames to go. And I'm going, oh man, I don't even have a thousand dollars to give these guys. (laughs) What am I doing? Luckily for me, they didn't quite get there, but it was just something to try and get them in there to show them, hey, Mm -hmm. I didn't want them to think that I was just some kid with a bunch of money that just came in here and mommy and daddy gave me a bullet center because that wasn't the case. I had saved all of the money I could and gave the Langans everything I had to be a partner, which wasn't much, and that's why it was sweat equity for the rest. And um, we hosted the Women's State Tournament that year, and that was pretty fun. I mean, I was 21 years old, and back then it was three shifts on Saturday, three shifts on Sunday. So you're looking at, and 48 lanes, you're looking at about six to 700 ladies on Saturday and Sunday for the better part of 24 weeks, and I was single. So that was some crazy times up there. Who are you? Oh, I'm the owner of the bowling alley. How old are you? I'm like, oh, I'm 21. (laughs) Um, So we won't talk about those stories on the podcast, but it was was a lot of fun. And then we had just a different direction we wanted to go in. I wanted to – the center was a very, very nice center, but it needed a lot of TLC. Uh, and we just couldn't come to an agreement on what needed to happen. And when you're outvoted four to one, there's not a whole lot you can do. So we decided that me being there wouldn't be the best way to move forward because I just had different ideas. And um, without being able to do that, I didn't see the uh, any hope in it. So we decided to move in different directions. And then a couple years ago, they had a flood. And the bowling center was destroyed, which was terrible because it was a, I mean, if you're nostalgic about bowling centers, you walk into that place. I mean, huge pillars, Mm -hmm. the huge wood beams going up, all wood lanes. I mean, the place was just absolutely gorgeous. And then 
It looked like something out of a Tim Burton movie. Because it was closed for the summertime, and then a half-inch water line at the counter had broken and started leaking. So when they came up there about six weeks, they figured it was about six weeks based on the amount of water. They said it was over a million gallons because the water meter kept going. Uh, had poured into the place. It looked like a Tim Burton movie. It oh. was uh, the approaches were buckled, the lanes were all curved and slanted, and it was just it's sad to see. But I don't think in today's day and age, I don't, I don't know if uh, a bowling center, even with my magic, I don't know if a bowling center that big in that area with as many bowling centers in a small area, I don't think it would have been sustainable. It. But you never know. So how'd you get here? How'd so yeah, so. Um, I went to actually work for, as soon as I got done with that, Mark Voigt, of all people, out of Detroit, the great Mark Voigt, uh, who used to at one time own 31 centers. He passed away recently, a couple years back. Great, great guy. Called me and said, hey, I heard you're uh, looking for a job. I said, I might be. He goes, well, I got a really good spot. I think you'd fit in. I talked to Tom, and he gave me the blessing, and um, I'd like to come, come have you talk to me. So I went over to Bowl 1, and Bowl 1 to me was – that's where you bowl as a youth. I mean, that's where you bowl. If you're bowling in a tournament or anywhere in southeast lower Michigan, bowl one was, was a big name. And I'm like, man, I could, I could take this place over and I could run this place right and really, really do a good job here. And probably within three weeks in, I sat Mark down. And I said, listen, I know most of your staff don't talk to you like this, but if you want me to run this center, you got to let me run this center. And he has a very he's an, he was an accountant, so he had a very methodical way of doing things, which which worked for a long time. And I just said, bowling is a personal thing. It's not a numbers game. You can't play the numbers game, and you can't count the number of bolts you have in the back, and you can't worry about your mechanic taking a cup of Coke. I said, you got to put a personal touch on it, or you'll never get to where you want it to be, in my opinion. It's just I don't see centers working that way, because most of the centers I know that try, they, they don't work. And uh, he's like, well, kick it around for a little bit, and we tried for a couple more weeks, and we just couldn't come to an agreement so i parted ways and i said you know what i'm done with bowling i, I can't take it anymore i'm going to do some other things um i worked for the department of homeland security uh, a very small stint in the army um let's see what else did i do i bought a hardware store i was a proprietor of a hardware store for about 18 months that just completely went just belly up they built a menards about six miles down the road and that was the end of that so i tried a bunch of different things and i always it always came back to bowling like i went and helped out the langans at their bowling center in commerce for a little while and i just missed it and just by happenstance i had taken a new job and they called me off for that weekend it was a union job uh hauling cars and they said hey there's no work this weekend you're off you'll come in next weekend i said okay my wife had already scheduled some time to go up north so I was on my own and a couple of my friends called because I grew up in Rochester and um, we were living in Holly at the time we were first we moved to Burton we'll get we'll go in that in a second because I was gonna buy Nightingale Lanes and that didn't work out and then when we moved from Burton uh, we moved to Holly and we always joked about driving past Holly Lanes about buying it I'm like man we should buy that place and when my oldest son I'm a father of five so five little boys so my oldest son who was in kindergarten at the time had a field trip here and we came in and i'm like oh my goodness what what is this place i mean it was it was horrible rob it was it was horrific i know you we can laugh about it now but it was and that's no that's not even a slam on eric the guy that used to own it this place was a disaster i told my kid i'm like don't touch 
anything. And I knew I knew roughly who Eric was. I mean, I didn't know him personally, but I saw him. I said, Eric, I said, what, pardon my French, I said, what the hell happened? He goes, what do you mean? I said, look at this place. I said, I could get a staph infection in here. What, what are you doing? He's like, oh, man, it's, it's all right. I'm like, no, it's not all right. And there was probably 25 kids, and I bet you we moved seven times. Oh my! In an hour, and trying to move kindergartners around is like it's like herding sheep. It's just yeah. very difficult to do because the lane kept breaking down. And at one point, I'm like, "Hey, man, I I can catch ball returns if you want. I can. I know a little bit. I went to Brunswick school. I'm not a mechanic, but I know how the machines work, so I can help you out." Oh no, no, we're good. I said, "We are definitely not good." So my wife's up north, and I go a couple of my buddies from Rochester calls and say, "Hey, we're all meeting up. Let's meet up." And we're having dinner, and I was a cup of cocktails in. And one of the girls there was like, yeah, my dad used to own a bunch of bowling centers. I said, who's your dad? She goes, it's Eric Bogan. And I said, well, I know that guy. She goes, yeah, we went to school together. So we were talking. I said, well, does he, he, how many bowling alleys does he have left? She goes, just the one in Holly. I said, oh man. I said, give me, give me his phone number. He, she's like, cause he wants to get rid of it. He just, he wants to be done with it. And I called him and I came in and we talked and the price that he wanted, I mean, it was out to lunch the price he wanted. It was almost a million dollars. And I said, Eric, I said, unless there's a diamond mine or an oil field underneath this place, I said, you're, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah. And I called him for 27 days in a row. Every single day I called him. I'm like, you're selling me your bowling center. And he kept telling me no. <laughs> Finally, I found out that his brother, Neil, was a silent partner and the majority partner. So I called up Neil and I said, listen, you need to ask around. Here are some names of some people I know and what I've done in the bowling industry. So you know I'm not joking. But you need to meet me at Holly Lanes because I want to buy it and I have a vision for it. But you need to see it because I'm taking it that you haven't been there. He's like, I haven't been there in about five years. And I crap you not, when he walked in, he looked like Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. I mean, he both hands hit his face and he said, Eric, I need to talk to you. Before we even had a conversation, he pulled him aside and 15 minutes later, Neil basically said, how much money do you have in your pocket? Because that's what I'll take. So we walked around the place and we came up with a number. And after all that, I said, yeah, by the way, Neil, I don't have any money. He goes, what? I said, yeah, I don't have any money. I said, I got about 30,000 bucks. I said, I'll give it to you. It's my kid's future, it's everything. I'll give it to you. I said, and I'll pay you the rest. I said, we'll put it on a land contract because there's no bank in the world that's going to finance this place. But I'll never miss a payment. I promise you I'll never miss a payment. And we worked a deal out where there's some advantage if I were to be able to pay it down, which in there's no accountant in the world, no book in the world that would have taken that bet. Somehow, some way, with about 12 hours left to go, I was able to do it. And um, we just started going to town. There were no leagues. There was no open bowling. There were three teams of bowlers. So there were 12 people on Wednesday night that were like, fixed to a pole and they're like yeah we're not leaving because if we leave we'll never come back so can you work with us they said yeah i said i'll just move you around every week and you guys can bowl and we'll, we'll figure it out um i fell through the roof literally fell through the roof i heard heard horror stories from everybody uh one of my competitors up the road uh he would drive by because he had to drive past this place on his way to work he would literally drive by and pull through the parking lot looking at what i was doing and sometimes he would poke fun at me and I just would shrug it off and wave at him. Um, but I, I could see through 
the mess. I mean, I could see the potential that was here and it's, you're at the bottom. I mean, you have no customers, nobody was here. And I said, well, you, you can't get worse than that. So even if you put 30 people in there, you're doing better than 12. Mm -hmm. uh, so let's go. And we, the first thing we did, I mean, we're looking at them right now, are we put lights on the approaches. Cause I turned, I turned the lights on and I asked the rest of the staff, I said, where are all the lights? They said, they're on. I said, how can you see any, you can, I mean, there were no approach lights. I mean, you, you can't even see the approach. So the first thing I did was I added what? One, two, three, four, five, seven, eight ballasts on the approach. And as soon as I lit up the approach, I'm like, oh man, turn that, turn that off. <laughs> we, I don't want to see that yet. Cause I mean, there's water coming in everywhere. And I remember my dad, who was the general contractor for me, sat down and he goes, man, I sure hope you know what you're getting into. He goes, because I got seven pages on this legal pad. He goes, I don't even know how you're going to afford this, let alone do it. So we just started chipping away. I mean, literally tile by tile and ball return by ball return. And we picked the biggest things to fix first and which were the machines. And it was funny because my, my mechanic, who is also my partner now, um, Gary Suchanik, he was here to consult when we looked at the place. And I didn't even know him. And uh, my friends, the Langans, were here to consult as well. And they just said, you're crazy if you buy this. You're nuts. And G Gary said, I would jump off a bridge if I had this job. He goes, any mechanic that comes in here is going to literally want to run out because... He goes, I don't even know how, and he had been doing it since the 60s. He goes, I don't even know how some of these machines are running, let alone, I mean, they were covered in duct tape and the welds, half the welds were snapped. He goes, I don't even know how this place is functional. I'm like, oh, it's pretty much not. Um, and I remember about six weeks later, I called him. I said, hey, Gary, I said, remember me? He goes, oh, yeah. I, he goes, what, what'd you do? I said, well, I bought it. I bought the points. And he goes, oh, man. He goes, so what can I do for you? I said, uh. You want a job? He goes, oh, no way. I said, come on. I said, I'll tell you what, just come in for six weeks. Six weeks, I'll pay you whatever I can pay you. I'll buy whatever parts I can buy. At least get the machines where they'll go up and down somewhat consistent. Where did he come from? He actually, he was an aeronautic engineer, but before that he was a mechanic in Illinois for Brunswick and AMF for the better part of 30 he's, years he's a great guy yeah he's he is one of the one of the he's a dying breed the last of the mohicans probably one of the best mechanics i've ever been around because we could it's too bad we can't show people what our machines look like you could eat lunch off of them i mean knock on wood we haven't had a moving stop in and legitimately six years well we just don't get them because we take the time that is to me that's the most important thing in a bowling center other than being clean, I'm a, I'm a clean freak. But if your machines don't go up and down consistently, that's a drag as a bowler. Mm -hmm. Because I don't sell anything but air. I sell air and drinks. I, sell, I, want, I get you in my center for three and a half to four hours a night. What are you doing? You're throwing a ball down the lane. Well, if you can't throw the ball down the lane and it doesn't come back, A, in the same condition it came back in, and B, without having to move lanes six or seven times throughout the course of the night, it's a drag and it happens machines break and 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 things happen where you just can't fix it right then there i get that but our goal always was to minimize that because one of the first things i did when i bought the place is i read all the google reviews and they were 
horrific. I even contacted one lady the day before I bought it. She slammed the place about how no one was here for a birthday party and her kid got his shoe caught on some piece of wood on the approach and it went through his kid's foot and all this other stuff. And I said, you know, I'm the new owner. I said, I want to give you another party. She goes, you know, it's really nice. You don't have to do that. A couple years later, she came in and I refused to take her money, but she ended up spending most of it in the bar anyway. But we looked at it and said, okay, what's, what do people not like about it? Because nobody likes anything about it. So what are the main focus points of what what's wrong? And it was machinery. So we focused on machinery first, and it probably took the better part of three years, but we tore every machine down to the frame and completely rebuilt them. Now, our challenge here was we have three different types of machines. So Brunswick, the original machines are from the 50s, and we have eight of the original A's. Whoa. So trying to get parts for them, let alone keeping them working, was a task. And then the next section of lands, because this place was built in three pieces, the next session, section of um, machines are the uh, converted A's, which are basically an upgrade. It's like going to a Pinto with, with a sunroof. <laughs> and then the last section are the A2's, which are the newer version, which are completely different than the other two. So having a guy that knows all of that and can work with all of that and understands how some parts are swappable and some parts aren't, uh, really was a key to putting that piece back together because now we had a place where you could buy a $200 bowling ball and not be afraid to throw it down the lane because that was one of the biggest complaints I heard was, I'm not throwing any of my good equipment there, let alone how bad the shot was and how terrible the roof was and all that other stuff. But all I heard was, I'm not throwing a bowling ball there. I said, we got we to gotta get rid of that misconception. So this place originally used to be how many lanes then? Originally it was eight. And, and then it went it. to 16, and then, and then it went to 26. Wow. And from the way they did it, I'm guessing it was one drunk night, somebody just had an idea, hey, we should add some more lanes, because that's kind of the way it was built. Um, there's only been four owners, not including the bank. The bank owned it for a little while back in the 80s. But um, there's only been four owners before me, and then they just kind of, I think everybody started with the right intention, and then everybody kind of just let it go to the point where the next person came in and um, and tried it and did their thing for a while and let it go, and um, it was always my goal. To, you, you know who all four owners were? Yep, it was the um, the Mavis family was the original. It was originally Jet Lanes, which was a Quonset hut down in downtown Holly, um, and then it moved out here. There were some really cool pictures. Some of their uh, grandkids have come in. I said, if you ever want to let me photocopy those pictures, I'll put them up on the wall because the forest across the street wasn't there. Uh, there was not. There was a really cool old sign from the '60s. It was like a martini glass, and the olive was a bowling ball. It was really cool. Um, and then the Mavis family sold it to the Miles family. That's and, uh, yep, what I remember. Tim Miles, Miles and yep. uh, his family owned it for quite quite a number of years. I think don't quote me, but I think they had it for ten to twelve years because their dad owned. owned originally owned it and then tim and uh his daughter elise took it over elise ran the bar side and tim ran the bowling side and from what i'm told from the people that are here a lot of people bowled in the leagues back then um said he was great said he just got he got tired of it and at some point that's he was done and didn't want to do it anymore and let uh once the kids took over it was kind of tim for a while and he's like he was done and then he sold it to the bogan family uh, Neil and Eric, and at the time they had 
I think this was their seventh center. They owned a number. They owned uh, Shelby Lanes and um, Van Dyke Bowl, uh, Classic Lanes in Rochester. Um, I'm all there. Yeah, Kingswood. Yeah, uh, Kingswood Lanes, um, and I think one or two others plus this one. And then uh, Neil got more out of bowling and went into. They had an amusement park for a little while, and Neil did the um, all the, the crane games. Amusement park by Van Dyke Bowl. No, no, no. This oh. was no. Oh. <laughs> I think it was similar. Nate, don't quote me. It's similar in nature, but I think it was oh. a little further up north and a little bit bigger. Oh, okay. like smaller than like Boblo, if you remember. If you, yeah. I'm dating oh, yeah. myself, but Bo- smaller than Boblo, but that dates me too. Yeah, but a uh, a, a decent sized park, and then. Um, okay, so you're the fourth owner here. I did yeah. not realize that this place was added on to. Twice. Yeah, three. Yeah, so it uh, we we deal with that a little bit because the lane beds are different ages. Um. And then probably the biggest mistake, well, not mistake because it was cool at the time, but uh, I, I hate to say the, the G word, but when they put the Guardian finish down is right when Cosmic Bowling was at its height. So the Guardian finish, for anybody that doesn't know what Guardian is, is between a three and six millimeter uh, film that goes over the top of the lane. It's glued down. Uh, and if it's done right, it's glued down heavily. Um, and a lot of people only put it down about 20 feet down the lane. Some, some guys would go 40 feet down the lane, um, not to the heads. And it really glue in the dark. So you could really turn up your cosmic lights and really get it because for the better part of 15 years, cosmic bowling was a thing. So it was the rock and bowl was a big thing. Um, but unfortunately, that only had it. And he went all the way down. He went from the foul line to the pin deck. Oh, he that went all, some yeah, he went all 60 feet on all 26 lanes. And that's great for a shelf life of six or seven years. But after a shelf life of 15 to 18 years, it gets very hard to maintain that. A lot of centers that have it, I don't think a lot have it still, but you would go in there, you'd see blister. It looked like a pizza, like a brown spot on a pizza. You'd mm-hmm. see blisters on the lanes. And there's nothing you can do to fix that other than cutting that entire section of Guardian out and putting another one down, and you will not get the same adherence because it's not a longer piece. It's just, there's no good way to do it. But it makes it almost impossible from a technology standpoint to oil the lane with any consistency. It'd be the same as oiling the parking lot. Like if you took a microscope and put it on that lane and looked at the surface of the lane, I mean, it it looked like the surface of the moon. So to put down a proper oil pattern to get a consistent shot uh, was virtually impossible. I mean, unless you had been bowling here for years and years and years and knew that lane three didn't hook and lane five hooked out of the building and lane seven, you didn't want to come anywhere close to the 25th board because it's loose and a bunch of other stuff. Um, It was really, really difficult. I mean, how Andrew Anderson averaged 240 out here before we moved that. I mean, he's Andrew. So that's the only explanation I have is beyond me. And we had about six or seven 800s on it, uh, which is, to me, that's like bowling, almost like bowling 900 um, because it's just so, you can't miss. And you got to get lucky. It's just the way it was. So our biggest fight after the machines were the lanes. Because all I heard from every bowler in the community, oh, your lanes suck. And I'm like, yeah, they kind of do. I get it, but you got to give me a shot. You got to come out here and try it because I'm trying. 
When did you remove the guardian? Uh, two summers ago. So my daughter's 299 was on guardian. Was on guardian. Yep. I thought it was. Yeah, and the bowlers that the bowlers that could adjust and the bowlers that could move around and the bowlers that understood the shot because the shot really wasn't that hard. And for the most part, it was once we got it dialed in and really got a pattern. I mean, I talked to everybody to try and get a pattern. I mean, I even talked with Mo Pinnell to try and come up with something. I mean, I would He's geek. my hero. Yeah. <laughs> when I met Mo, it's funny. When I met Mo the first time, I went to his drill class, and he showed up, and I'm like, who is this guy? I just paid three, because it was me and another guy. I said, I paid $3,000 for this? He's wearing a tracksuit, and he's, he's drinking a bottle of CC. I <laughs> I want my money back. And within 30 minutes, I'm like, oh my God, this is the smartest man alive. Yeah. So I consulted with a lot of people to try and figure out what we could do because we knew it wasn't going to be perfect. But if we could get something where you could throw three games and relatively know what you're doing for those three games, you knew you'd have to move. The guys with a lot of hand knew they'd be in front of the ball return probably by the middle to the end of the second game. I'm being I'm being kind, but the middle of the end of the second game, they'd be in front of the ball return. But if you had the right equipment and you knew how to play the shot, you could obviously your daughter real well and your your girls team always pulled well here. True. Um, True story. Because you give them, you just you got to give the bowler a chance. Um, and then finally, we decided um, we had a topography done, and the people did the topography. They're like, look, man, they're like. Because it was really, we had to move to ice and the carry down, which is a, a brand of oil, and the carry down into the machines was horrific. And we were starting to get a lot of ball calls and pin jams. And, and Gary was just like, listen, we got to we gotta figure something out. This is there's just too much oil. To keep enough oil on the lane for five guys to bowl on a Thursday night with 10 on a pair was just almost an impossible ask. I mean, we were going through hundreds and hundreds of dollars in oil every single week trying to make it happen. So... We were going to put synthetics in. Everybody got all excited, and I priced them all out. I'm going, man, I just spent a lot of money fixing this place up because we had lost the roof, and we redid everything, and we were close to, at that point, a million dollars into a renovation. And I had bowlers coming back, and I was hosting tournaments, and everything was really clicking. I mean, really, really starting to move, and I'm like, I just can't justify putting that in, but I'm going to do it because that's, that's the only way to grow the business is to do that. And this guy, this crazy old guy, Dave Crockett, Davey Crockett from Texas, comes in, call me Slim, and he goes, listen, Slim, I don't think you should put synthetic in. And the guy from Cubico was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he's like, no, you shut up. He's like, you still have a decent amount of wood left. Who told you you didn't? I'm like, that guy. And he goes, well, he lied to you. I said, listen, if there's any way possible I can save these lanes and get three, four, five more years out of true wood, I said, do it. In a heartbeat, do it. Because number one, it saved me $150,000. But two, I'm a purist when it comes to bowling. I love the game. You don't buy a bowling center if you want to make money. You buy a bowling center because you love bowling. Mm -hmm. And I love wood lanes. Yep, you can absolutely go to any bowling center that has synthetic, and you're going to average, on average, eight, to 15, and if you're a good bowler, 20 pins higher traditionally on a synthetic lane. You just are, and that's just fact. It's just the way it is, and I'll put up scores against anybody. But here on wood, you got to be a shot maker. You, If you're going to throw a 300 in this center, you earned a 300. 
I love when the 700 Club comes here because the really good bowlers bowl really well. And the bowlers that don't bowl well, the majority of them are like, wow, that was really, that was tough. I like that. I really like that. And I've, I've seen in the last couple of years that trend go from 15 to 2300s in a center a night, which is kind of ridiculous if you ask me. I mean, you still have to throw 12 good shots. I get oh, yeah. it. And you still got to, there's a lot to it. But to have some people come in that are really good bowlers and get humbled, uh, but I've seen that trend where they like it. They like the fact that it's, it's difficult to shoot that score. So you really feel like you earned it. And I tell, especially my high school bowlers, I tell them all the time, I'm like, you need to practice here 90% of the time. Go bowl on synthetic too, so you get a feel because it's different. Synthetic approaches versus wood approaches, everything else. I said, but the more you bowl here, the better you're going to be because you understand what shot making is. Where you don't have a five board window to make that spare. You have a one board window. And if you miss, you miss. So, um, and Andrew Andrew will attest to that. I mean, he grew up bowling here on the worst conditions and now some very, very good conditions. And he would say the same thing. You have to, you got to bowl. And to me, that's, I've never shot 300. I've always wanted to come close a couple times. Um, but I hope it's here because to me, that'd be a feather in the cap because I did it on wood and we're one of the very few places left that have it. So hopefully if we maintain it right, we can, uh, we can keep them a couple more years. My, uh, my high school girls, uh, we loved to monitor because yeah. it was tough. It was real wood until and yeah, until the summer, right. Um, but my have you been up there by the way not it's since beautiful it's beautiful yeah. they did some, the dota the uh rick and don are good good dudes yeah, yeah. and they uh, i've been up there forever and uh, they did a really great job with it but it's nostalgic man yeah and like you said they it, you have a competitive advantage too if you know how to play on wood versus someone who only bowls on synthetic they're going to struggle and it's more of a mental thing at that point because when you're competing at a high level everybody's good and everybody, I mean, if you average 220 plus, you're a very good bowler, regardless of where you bowl. But when you get a 220 bowler that has to make those micro adjustments that they normally don't have to make, mm-hmm. you can rattle them. Oh, you can yeah. get in their head and they're, they miss a shot here or flag a 10 or whatever, then all of a sudden you're in a match where you might not have won. But, and like I told Fenton, and it's not a knock on your girls, I told Fenton and Holly and Lyndon all the time, I'm like, you can beat the Kersley girls. I said because you bowl here, you understand that, but you gotta you gotta want it. You gotta you gotta have to get in their head, let them know that it's tough. They never did because your girls were prepared and they did well on wood, but they won a lot of matches that they normally would not have won head to head on a synthetic lane because they they understood it, they learned it, they they knew it. So I just I like the challenge, and if you ask me to change it out, I mean even if you gave me synthetic lanes, I probably wouldn't take them. I'd probably put them in storage, but. Okay, so you just uh, gave me a lead in. Um, we're going to switch switch direction here. We're going to talk about some high school bowling because. God, I love high school bowling. You are huge for the Metro Conference out here. You're sponsoring three high Three schools. teams. We have Fenton, Linden, and Holly. Um, that is huge for the Metro Conference, which um, uh, I'm not going to lie. When, when, when I started coaching, which was 16 years ago now, um, and we look at the schedule and we would say, oh, we got to go to Holly. Um, my girls used to dread it. 
And when you took over here and you started redoing this place, and we would come out here, the girls, you could see, you could see their attitude change. Because uh, you'd walk in, the place was nice. Like you said, you're redoing everything in here. It got to the point where it was like, they would look at the schedule and say, all right, we're going to Holly. Sweet. Yeah, no no doubt about it. Um, and I don't, I don't want to take any credit for that, but I always have always tried to encourage the kids to, you know, don't dread something before you even get there. Look right. forward to it and think good things will happen. And uh, my team was very successful here. Um, I mentioned my daughter bowled a 299 here. Uh, I think if you ask her to this day, she loves this place. And what you've done here is really, really cool. I mean, to walk in here and see, I, I know how this place was back in the 80s. Right. And I bowled here in the 80s. We bowled the travel league here, and we had some dreadful days here. Um, so I really admire you for what you've done. And sponsoring three high schools is no small task. It is yep, it's, a, it's definitely a chore. And the, the nice thing is the kids are really, really good kids, uh, and the programs have grown uh, significantly. Right before we had this last shutdown, we actually had to create a different day for Trophy with all the um, capacity limits. We had to have two different days for tryouts just for Fenton because two years ago they had 12 kids on the team, and last year they had 65 kids tryout. Oh, my goodness. And instead of cutting any of them, any of them they kept them all. So Whoa, I didn't to, know that. Yeah, to grow that program the way it's grown. Um, and it's funny because when I first took over, I know Tina Bond, who's coached uh, Linden forever, she came to me and said, hey, you know, um, we were asked to leave Fenton Lanes. We need a home. And I looked at the place. I said, I can't have you in here because I ended up closing for about 11 months total um, because the first summer. We, we took over in November of uh 2011 so this is our ninth yeah this is our ninth year and we had to close that summer because it was just horrific and she came back i said i can't have you yet i said i would love to have you but i can't because i i can't even oil the lanes let alone put kids in here she's like well when you're ready we're ready and then fenton followed suit the next year and then um there was some confusion about the holly team because i said okay well why are they bowling at cherry hill and that then before you were yeah there. before i was the owner and i, I mean I knew the answer to the question, and Fred Walls, who's a very, very, very good friend of mine and a great friend of the center, who was the coach at the time, said, Brian, I, I love what you're doing. Because most people, when I took over, thought I was crazy. I said, you know what? I'm not going to tell you all these things I'm going to do. I'm just going to do them. Just know that, just stand behind me because it's going to be great when it's done. And everyone's like, yeah, you're out to lunch, kid. You're never going to do that here. And it wasn't even so much to prove them wrong. It's just to prove myself right. Um, and as things started getting better, um, I understood why they left. They left because they couldn't even get the lights on and they had to oil the lanes sometimes even by hand. And from what I was told, the matches here for high school bowling were horrific. I mean, this place is a very, very small bowling center. My concourse is only 13 feet wide. Mm -hmm. And from this, the horror stories I had of 300 plus people in here, 24 teams bowling. I mean, I sweat now. I'm literally breaking out in a sweat now thinking about that because there are buckets in the ceiling. I know one of the city tournaments, a bucket fell down onto the approach while somebody was bowling. And they literally said, we'll never bowl here again. And I've oh. hosted them twice since then. But with the high school, I told, um, I met Deb Alexander and I met Jim Tuber and um, I went to some of the meetings. I said, I want to be involved. How do I get involved? And they said, well, here are the problems we had. I said, well, I have what I think are easy solutions to that, but they're not 
typical solution. So you got to work with me a little bit because I want people to see what I've done. I don't want people to come in and be like, ah, same old Holly Lanes. I want people to come in and say, wow, holy, holy crap. And as we got later into our renovations, that's what happened. I would hear people come in and be like, wow, this is, and especially with your support, I mean, you carry a lot of clout and with you being very vocal saying, hey, this is a good place again, give this guy a shot. A lot of people were like, oh, okay. And when the teams came in, Swartz Creek and Davison and everybody else, they said the same thing. They're like, wow, number one, this guy knows what he's doing. Two, I'm not going to stick to the floor and get get a staph infection. And three, my my kids have a competitive shot, um, and they're going to bowl well, mm-hmm. and they're going to have fun. I mean, there's nothing better to me than watching high school kids hoot and holler. And like when your daughter bowled a 299 in this place, it was like being at the Super Bowl. I mean, it was it was great. And I thought the I thought the twelfth shot was a really good shot. Um, so did she. Yeah. <laughs> Dad's going to, dad's going to refrain his comment, but my, that's, that's my passion. I mean, I have five little boys and if they all love the bowl, uh, I don't think anybody other than one of them wants to do it competitively, which is fine. Um, and if they don't want to run dad's business when it's time, that's fine too. They can do whatever they want. Um, I remember when we first took over my, my son, he goes, Hey, you own a candy machine? I said, buddy, we own the whole bowling alley. He goes, do you have keys to that candy machine? He goes, like, can we open that candy machine? Um, but it's it's fun to watch, especially now that we're hosting middle school, too. It's fun to watch the kids grow and progress and get really, really good. And then you see them on Thursday, Friday, Saturday nights coming in and bringing their friends in. That's really, to me, that's what it's, what all, it's about. all about because they're having a good time. Yeah. And that's really what kind of – disenfranchised me from the bowling side of it is when I wanted to be very competitive, it wasn't fun anymore. I mean, I, the, the day I remember distinctly the day I walked in, um, and said, I, I don't even want to bowl is the day I knew that I, I wasn't supposed to be bowling anymore. I was supposed to be making an environment where a guy like me would, would never want to make that statement again. So that's kind of, always been the foundation here of what I've tried to do. Just provide a very clean, very nice place to come hang out. And I tell all my customers all the time, I don't, your 14, 15, 20 bucks that you pay in your league, I don't care about that. You're giving me, you're investing with me four hours of your time. And in 2020, the time is a very precious thing. I'm going to make those four hours a really cool time where this is, if you're once a week, if you're every week, I have some guys that bowl three nights a week, whatever it is you're going to have a good time. And my philosophy goes the same with high school bowling. And it's always been the way we shifted out. It's much more comfortable for the parents. The only time we ever had anything close to a struggle was last year. And Deb surprised me with best of the best and brought brought 24 teams in at one time. (laughs) I'm still upset with you, Deb, if you're listening to this, Um, because it was insane. I mean, it was insanity. There were so many people here. Um, and she's like, yeah, this is what it used to be like. I'm like, that's why it's not like this now. But, I mean, we got through it, and all the, everybody had a great time. The girls just had a blast, and it all worked out. Um, so but, so the uh, MHSAA, the, the um, governing body for high school bowling, a few years back uh, actually granted you a regional and then they rescinded. Did. Yep. Um, and that was, that was a very mutual yeah, rescinding. Uh, they came in um, – it's Cody. Yep. 
Cody Cade, yeah, he, um, I got a hold of him, and um, I was very excited to host the, the tournament. And he came in, and as soon as he saw the place, he looked at me and goes, you don't really know what's coming at you, do you? I said, well, not really, so I'd like you to explain it to me. And after he, ex- he explained it to me, I said, you know, in my heart of hearts, as much as I would love the honor of hosting this event, I said, it's just not a doable thing for anybody to have. I said, if we just did the kids and had no parents and no spectators, which would not make it as fun, you couldn't realistically do that. I mean, I would literally have to unbolt all the tables and everything from the concourse and do so much that, and I wouldn't even, I wasn't even so much concerned about the cost of doing it because it's like one of those once in a lifetime things I would do and it would be a lot of fun to do it. But the, the prestige of being able to bowl in that tournament I would not want that taken away from the kids because the environment is just an absolute bleep show. So we decided that it would be better for, I believe it went to Richfield that year. It would be better for them to host that event because they're just more well-equipped. They're, they're bigger and they're more well-equipped. And we had talked about doing a smaller division at some point in time, but it just made the most sense because I told them flat out, I said, I put in eight or seven years of work and I don't want that reputation to go down the drain for yeah. a six-hour event. Right. And it's not even my ego saying I don't want that. I just I don't want it for the kids. I don't want them to be bowling all year and practicing all year for this very important tournament that's going to decide who goes to the state finals. And they had a terrible time because they couldn't find a place to put their bowling ball down, let to- alone. Totally understand that. Um, but a little, little insight, hopefully, for the future, things may look a little brighter for you as far as that goes so that was a division one regional that uh, you were going to host um, but I'm not sure if you heard this or not the talk is um, maybe even starting in January now if they start bowling they're going to go to five divisions yeah that's I had heard some talking about that so I was curious so if they go to five divisions the plan is the discussion is they're going to do districts for bowling to eliminate some teams so you'd have a district uh, tournament where say you would host uh, eight boys eight girls teams and a couple of those teams would get eliminated so six of those teams would move on to regionals so you'd have six boys six girls teams that you could host a regional and part of the reasoning for doing that is so that you could host it in a place like this right a small a smaller yeah. environment which would be fan which to me would be fantastic yes i would i would absolutely love that opportunity but it also gives the kids i think more of a a chance to bowl at some different places versus the same yeah. six or eight places and i know they were even talking about changing the shot a little bit uh, i know that that's going to happen it, next year is, no. is that what it is yeah, yeah. they're going to hold off for a year so randy allen will be for this season if if they're if lucky they enough to crossing our fingers there um so yeah uh if things go, I'm gonna bet that somebody's gonna be calling you up. Yep, and they they would get a great response from me saying, "Hey, bring it, uh, bring it on, let's do it." It would because, be perfect for this place. Yep, because the way we can stagger shifts and everything else, yeah. you you get a chance to really get up close and personal with your bowler and watch that bowler compete at that level. Um, with a, it's it's just a real intimate environment versus where you're. 50, 60 feet away. Well, not 50, 60 feet away, but 30 or 40 feet away, and you're eight parents deep. It's just, it's tough. It's fun because it's loud and boisterous, and it can, it's definitely advantages and disadvantages both ways. I just like a more, especially with our scoring. Now, that was another thing, is we never had upper monitors. 
So it was very difficult for parents to see the score mm -hmm. because half the time you'd have to pull some Fonzie action just to get the score to work and bang on the top of it. But even then it was blurry and you couldn't see it. So um, one of my favorite upgrades was putting the automatic scoring system in with the uppers with the high definition screen. So all the parents, especially the grandparents in the back who uh, can't see as well, really were like, wow, cool, I can actually see my kid's score. Yes, yeah, I know a lot of people like that. And taking those bottom monitors out really opened up the uh, the floor space to give the kids a lot more room uh, for bowling balls and equipment and just to, to sit down because yep. the fixed seating is kind of a drag. It's true, it's true. You've done a fantastic job at this place. So we're 48 minutes into this podcast. Um, I'd like to spend about 10 minutes here maybe talking about I think that this is one of your passions. I know it is. Um, let's talk about your bowling fundraiser that unfortunately was yeah, canceled. Yeah, we cut short again. Um, because of the COVID back in the spring, but uh, the autism yep. fundraiser that you do every year. So uh, out of my five boys, two of my sons are autistic. Um, one has a traumatic brain injury along with that. He actually got hit, and ironically enough, he was struck in the head with a bowling ball completely by accident. He walked up behind my other son to show him something, and the timing just was one of those things where his backswing caught him right in the side of the head. And uh, it was very serious. Like he was minutes away from having um, brain surgery and everything else. I mean, we almost lost him because of it. And it's been a very long road getting him even remotely close to back to where he, we would like him to be. But he's battled through it. And then top autism on top of that, um, we struggled at first, especially with our second son, who was the first diagnosed with autism for resources. And um, we fought tooth and nail with the schools and just everything. And I was very frustrated because the don't even, I would donate money and it wouldn't go to the right spot. Like I donated funds for a resource room and it magically disappeared into the general fund. And I'm a pretty passionate guy. I wear my emotion right on my sleeve. You always know where you stand with me. And I was through the roof angry to the point where, I mean, I, I was doing a lot of yelling. So I decided, I said, you know, instead of arguing about it, I'm just going to do this myself uh, and come up with a way to raise some money for people that really need it, that I know that'll get it. So I started a 501c3, teamnicky.org uh, is the website. Um, and what we do is we host, and it's pretty simple, we just host one fundraiser a year right now. We're, we're going to try and get into golf once things... Uh, because a lot of bowlers are golfers once things settle down. But we've done bowling the last couple of years. Uh, and it's just a great event where we come out, we bowl for like six hours. I mean, it's, it's not competitive. You just come out and bowl. But we have uh, real high-end high hors d'oeuvres. We usually will try and pick a local restaurant to do our catering uh, for the event. And it's just a, a way for me to raise funds so then we can give them back to the community. There's no – I'm the director, so there's no salary. So if you put a dollar into this fund, it goes out. Like there's our goal is that it's zero at the end of the year. So the bowling alley donates the night for expenses. So, like I said, it's one of the very few charities out there where if you put a hundred dollars in, a hundred dollars is going out. You don't get a hundred dollars in and thirty dollars went out and seventy dollars went to expenses or whatever else they call it. Uh, but what we do is we help um, people in the community that need the help. And what we like to do is we like to keep it very private. So people can contact us and say, hey, you know what, uh, I'm on subsidized health care and my kid really needs this therapy. Well, we'll go ahead and talk to them and 
not even to really make sure it's legit, but we just want to hear their story because we've never had a single person come to us that was dishonest, that just wanted it for whatever. So we'd like to meet with them and just say, hey, what's your, tell us your story. What, how can we help you? And then we provide those funds and make those funds available to, to them to do what they need to do, like service dogs. Um, to get one is just a horrific process. It just takes forever. And some of them need them, and they make a huge difference. So we're able to circumvent all that paperwork. And there's really no good funding at the state level or even really the federal level for kids other than in school. So, and some school districts are great, some school districts struggle. So to be able to, like we offered money to Grand Blank and they said, you know what, give it to somebody that needs it because we have tremendous funding. Like we are, they're not overfunded, but they have everything they need. So we were like, okay, so last year we purchased three horses that were gonna go to slaughter. And my good friends of mine in Colorado own a horse rescue. So the horses went to Colorado and were rehabbed and then were donated to an autism center where they were used for therapy riding. So to be able to do stuff like that is is what we like to do with it. And then to tie in my favorite thing in the world, bowling with it, it just it's a it's a perfect match. So we get to we get the bowl, uh, have a couple ginger ales if that's your uh, forte, and then uh, usually that helps with the wallets. And we've had some pretty pretty strong donations. Like we had one of our donations was a round for two at Pebble Beach. Oh, wow. um, we've had, um, I'm a pilot as a hobby on the side. So we've had where, um, customers will bid on dinner for two in Mackinac. So like one of our local firefighters, him and his daughter, we flew to Mackinac for the day and had some lunch and walked around the island. And it's, I mean, it's pretty cool when you, when you fly. You yeah. So. Oh, I want to go for a ride. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty cool thing to be able to, uh, to just hop in a plane out at Pontiac Airport and an hour and 10 minutes later, you're at the top of Mackinac. No kidding. And you're hanging out. It was a little windy that day, so uh, they got a little uh, nervous on the takeoff because we got blown, because it's a pretty small plane, we got blown around a little bit, but um, like we've done Niagara Falls. And I also have done where um, my employees, like a couple years back, I just said, hey, we're two of my employees, I'm like, we're going out to lunch today. Like, where are we going? I said, Niagara Falls. And they said, what? I said, yeah, we're going to Niagara Falls for lunch, let's go. And we float, you fly across Canada, it's an hour and 30 minutes, and you land in Buffalo and go see the falls and have lunch and, okay. and fly back. So it's, it's a pretty cool little thing um, to have, and then it's great for fundraising because you can get four, five, six hundred dollars for one of those flights. And a good friend of mine owns the gas, um, the gas depots at Pontiac Airport, so he donates the fuel. So there's minimal nice. cost. Nice. So it's just something we like to do to give back. I'm always trying to give back. The, the key is, especially in my opinion, uh, this bowling center has been here since the late 50s. It's a staple of the community, even for people that don't like to bowl. And I've always been a guy in the community that I want you to come to and say, hey, I need some help. Like we've done privately people that have had a loved one die and they can't even afford to get a hall. Hey, come use the space. Uh -huh. Because I have 26 babysitters. So your kids can come out here and bowl, and then you can commiserate and, and do what you need to do and grieve with your family. And I'll open a bar. So we got a beautiful bar. Yeah, here. we did. That was that's my dad's baby right there. Um, and that was the thing too is the the bar was just there were so many things wrong with the place and not even so much wrong, just outdated and just had never been cared for. So we just other than the four walls supporting the place. Everything's new. The roof, 
um, the bar. And it's just, it, I wanted to, like I said, I always wanted it to be a place where it could be like your basement. You could just come hang out. It's just your hangout place. And the outside could use some TLC, but it's almost like a speakeasy. Because you drive by and say, ah, oh, yeah, it's a bowling alley. Mm-hmm. And then you walk inside and be like, this isn't a bowling, this is a bowling center with a really nice bar. Yeah, you've, you've definitely, uh, you've changed the perception of this place. And, and I tell you, I'm, this is honest, honest to God's truth. This is what I hear now. Holly Lanes used to be bad. People were like, yeah, we're not going to bowl there. When my high school team had to come here, it was like, oh, geez, we got to go to Holly. Now it's, all right, we get to go bowl at Holly, but there's not going to be a place to park. Yeah. That's a good problem to have. That's a great problem to have. <laughs> and uh, the, the issue, and I've, I've tried a couple times to buy the places left and right, because the, how the lot is built uh, and where the bowling alley sits on the lot, um, there's just no parking. And there's a river behind us and about a 15-foot drop-off so and a septic field. So you can't pave over that. Right. So there's no way to, other than hitting the lottery and taking the bowling center, tearing it down and moving it and building it back up, um, there's just no, there's no fix. So I've told people, I'm like, you know what, carpool, bring your friends. Yeah. I said, and I've driven, I've driven many a customer home. Because <laughs> um, I, I think it's a great yeah, problem yep. to have. And be, because before it wasn't. I remember yeah. the day before I took over, I walked in um, and the staff didn't know who I was. And it was the night before. And I said, there was one person bowling and the guy was oiling lanes. And I thought it was odd that he was oiling lanes. I'm like, okay, well, I'm glad he's oiling. And I asked the girl at the counter, I said, hey, do you have open bowling? And she was having a conversation with someone, and she comes over, she goes, duh. I said, duh. I said, what does that mean? She goes, well, yeah. And then she walked away and started having another conversation again. I'm like, oh, okay. And the next day, I walk in. She goes, you look really familiar. And I said, duh. She goes, oh. Yeah, she didn't. And that was the other thing, too, is we, there were, somehow, there was about 26 employees. And I said, you know, listen. This is going to be much different than what you're used to, but you all have a job if you want a job. But there's going to be a lot of things that are going to change, so I want you to understand that you have to help me change with that. It's a new culture, new everything, and if you can't buy into it, by all means, I understand. But we're gonna, we gotta roll up our sleeves and go to work. And um, we, um, up until last year, we had uh, still one remaining, and then he moved on to do some other things. So for the better part of eight years, the majority of the staff were people that had worked here. But what's really cool is to see people like Fred Walls' daughter, Allison, uh, to watch them go from just out of high school when I took over to now having kids mm-hmm. and watching their kids get to bowl. Uh, is That's a treat to me. That To me, that's, that's where I get to sit back and I'm not counting dollar bills. I'm just counting smiles. And to me... When you wake up every day and you love what you do, it's it's not work. And as long as you can pay the bills. And that's why, I mean, to transition into where we're at now, uh, I'm so afraid for our industry because of what's going on. And not political or anything like that, but just what's going on with this pandemic. And the rules that are in place now um, that are so specific to our industry. It almost makes me think that... Uh, our governor was on a league once and bowled bad. And she just has a bad taste in her mouth for it. But uh, I feel like I'm getting picked we'll, on. Yeah. We'll wonder that. Yep. I, I feel like I'm getting picked on. And I can, I, I know for, and we talked about this before we started the podcast, Rob, my, one of my sons, I mean, I had it. And one of my sons is adversely affected 
affected by it significantly where he can't even bowl for his high school team anymore because of it. So it's a very real thing. And it's one of those things that I don't think is going to go away. And I, I, I pray that the vaccine does what it's supposed to do and we can get it out there and try and find some normalcy. But this is going to, it already has, but it could very significantly if something doesn't change very, very soon impact this industry at a catastrophic level because probably 90% of my fellow proprietors, we are not equipped to handle um, a significant period of shutdown when we only have roughly eight months. To, I mean, we have literally from September till May to make our money. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a lot of places that do anything. I mean, I close all summer because there's just no business out here with all the parks and everything else. And the funding that was available didn't go directly as it should have in a lot of cases, not all the cases, but in a lot of cases. So we're kind of left holding on by this very, very thin thread. And the people that didn't want, like this year, the people that didn't want to come, they didn't come, which is fine. And I don't fault them for that because we can only put 25% of our normal capacity people in here anyway. But the people that were here really did a great job of doing it right. I mean, you can see the amount of plexiglass that I have up. I went above and beyond what some other places did because I want everybody to be safe. And I really was a jerk almost on the rules, but everybody respected that. And to do it safely and to do it right and then have your feet cut out from underneath you for no rhyme or reason. I mean, I'm going to I'm gonna watch very disparagingly on Black Friday at hundreds, if not thousands of people all over these stores and all over the, the carryouts and everything else. And it, it hurts my heart because you could do things a little differently. And I'm not, I'm opposed to the majority of the things that the rules that are imposed on us. I, I don't like most of them. And I don't think it's fair. And I, I, I think it's garbage in a lot of cases, but we don't get that relief. So my electric bill, which is $1,800 this month, is still is still due. My property taxes are still due. And the government, there's no money. I mean, they, they don't pay us to stay closed and the insurance companies don't reimburse us for that. And our customers are great. I mean, I asked for some more money at the beginning of the season. They just literally said, take it, take whatever you need. And uh, if it comes to it and I have to have a fundraiser, I believe that people would show up in droves. And that's I don't want to do that because I don't want to ask for help. But if something doesn't happen soon, like I said, a lot of these proprietors are like me. The money is going to run out before this. Yeah, before the season runs out. And that I mean, that's the truth for a lot of businesses. You you've listened to my podcast. Yeah, you've heard you've heard me. You've seen my my posts. It's uh, there. There is absolutely no way that the bowling industry can survive what they're doing to you guys. Nope. And you have 300 plus, I mean, 300 plus centers yeah. in Michigan. And it's my honest belief, you're going to lose more than half of that number. And the, the bigger issue, even with losing the bowling centers is that as a bowler, if you stop bowling, you all of a sudden have three to four hours of extra time. And you say, wow, I got more time. I can watch a football game. I can go to a barbecue. I can do whatever. I don't get a portion of those bowlers back because they just say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to quit. And three, four years go by, and oh, yeah, I miss bowling. I'm going to come back. But you are decimating the customer base. I mean, open bowlers will always be there, but open bowlers don't pay the bills. Right. I love them, and we have a great open bowling base, but we haven't even done open bowling. 
much to my much to my dismay and my customers' dismay because I don't feel it was safe enough to do it with my environment. And the people that have been here for seven, eight years were the people I needed to take care of first. And then everything would follow suit as things got safer and opened up. And the best part about my open borders is they all said, great, we're, we're here for you when you're ready for us. Um, and again, it's my, it's my fear that there's going to be nothing left to come back to because, I mean, if you, if you chop the legs out of bowling f- through Christmas, I mean, I, I can't see, I can't, other than the guys that are solid, that are solvent, that, that don't owe money to the bank or any lenders, which aren't that many, um, you're going to lose. And then what, then what do you do? Because people say, and the, the biggest argument, maybe there's some misinformation out there that I can help clear up a little bit. People say, just stay open. Yeah, in theory, that's great. I'm a patriot, man. I love, I love this country. I love what we stand for. And even with all the political climate, I love the fact that, hey, you know what? Let's, let's see what this new direction is. Not, not necessarily my choice, but let's, let's give everybody, I always want to give everybody a fair shake, but if you take that ability away from, from us to do that, then what do you got left? So I can't just say, well, yeah, open up, Brian, just open up because I've had so many messages, just open the doors. Yeah. Okay, great. But here's what happens first. The liquor control commission comes in. They say, uh, yeah, we need your license. Now my place is really great, but without a liquor license, it's just not as cool as it could be. Mm -hmm. Not saying every customer comes in and gets blotto because they don't, but Bowling's a lot cooler if you have a beer or a drink in your hand and your camaraderie. Next comes your food license. The health department comes in and they regulate your food license. They say, yeah, we're going to need that too. Now, you can fight both the Liquor Control Commission and the food and the health department to get those licenses back, but it's going to cost you thousands upon thousands of dollars, and our government is very vindictive about it right now. They are coming after people. If you look at the barber up in uh, up good old Carl, he spent a ton of money on his legal defense and he hired the best people and he he won but those charges that they give you aren't just it's it's a misdemeanor but it's not just a misdemeanor it's a crime and you have to go in front of a judge and explain your case and why you defied this whether you like it or not you have to give them a reason why you did it and they may or may not say okay they might say yeah hey you know what you owe us 15,000 bucks for your fines or whatever it is. So staying open in theory is great, but if you take that ability, I mean, our, the proprietors that are left hanging on don't have infinite amount of dollars. So if you say, hey, Brian, you've got, let's say I've got a round number of $50,000 left in the bank before I have to close the doors forever. Well, I can't spend 20,000 of it in a legal battle. Right. But the bigger thing is, okay, so even if I did stay open, half the cup, because I only have 25% of the customers, so I'm going to alienate 50% of those customers by doing what they feel is the wrong thing to do. So like the restaurants stay open, okay, great, good for them, but half the people are like, hey, that guy's a jerk because he doesn't believe in science and he doesn't believe this, so you're in a no-win situation. So in my opinion, it's better to be cautious and work with work with the abilities I have and the, the people I can work with to say, hey, I need your help as long as I can to try and stave this off and just hope it doesn't go further than it does. And sometimes being the voice of reason, you know, it's not the most popular thing, but it's what you have to do because I didn't work 
nine years of my life and put, I mean, really, I've been in the business for 31, I was thinking about it today, 31 years to go down without swinging. Yeah. But I got to, I got to aim those punches in the right direction because if you don't, you're, you're kind of swinging at the air. I think the worst thing right now, this is just my opinion, is um, I have no idea why the bowling industry is being picked on here. But now that she's, uh, our governor has, has closed the bowling alleys, there's a perception that bowling alleys are the cause of the spread of yeah. COVID. And it's and just it's just not the truth. It, no, it's not. And like you said, you guys, you guys have plexiglass around your bar and your counter and everything here. The bowling alleys, as far as I'm, what I've seen, what I'm bowling, they're doing the right thing. They're doing what they were asked to do. But to get rid of that perception now is going to be very, very difficult. Yeah. In if, three weeks, if they reopen, there's going to be a whole lot of people that aren't going to come back. To oh, yeah. Now. I mean, the the day before her press conference Saturday, I had a team or a league of 14 teams of four. So that's what, 56 bowlers? Four teams showed up. And my other league, there's 20 couples. So 40 people, six people showed up. Half of them had, had called me and said, hey, I got COVID, or I was I got to quarantine myself. So I think the same thing happened on our mixed Yeah, because I, I, I mean, I brought all my staff, and I'm going, at 7.15, I'm like, where is, because they normally, they my, that league straggles in, and we start practice at 7.15, the bowling starts at 7.30, so usually people are full by 7.25, I'm going, and my waitresses are going, uh, where is everybody? And again, that goes back to what, they're doing to us because if you look at the Department of Health and Human Services, if you go to their website, because I'm a big science guy, I don't believe in opinions, and I don't believe Joe the Bowler. No offense, Joe the Bowler, but Joe the Bowler on Facebook, I don't care what your friend said at the snack bar last night. I need to know legally what my options are and what science says. And if you go to their website and you look at their stats, they give you a weekly breakdown for Michigan of what cases were where. They were like three last week in a bowling in a bowling center and you have the nursing homes and you can't tell me and this is not to bash the auto guys because i worked in the auto industry but you can't tell me there's a plant with a couple thousand people in it close proximity because they're doing everybody's doing what they can to keep everybody safe i agree with that but there's just so many different places that i believe and i you believe and i think a lot of other people believe there's not a whole lot of risk in a bowling center. I mean, there there just isn't. That shoe spray kills everything. Read the back. <laughs> I mean, it's a joke on the internet now, but it, I mean, it does. And the processes we've put in place, I mean, we spent almost, it was hard because we opened even a month late because I wanted to make sure we did everything right. And we spent almost $10,000 on money that I'm thinking to myself, okay, do I need to put this $10,000 in my pocket to make sure I can make my mortgage payment for my kids make sure there's food on the table? Or do I invest it in my center for plexiglass and sanitization and training people and all the paperwork you gotta have for the health department to make sure that we are doing it right. What do I do? Okay, I'm gonna gamble on my center. So I'm, I'm put a little less than 10,000 into it to make sure everything was ready to go. And the, the staff bought in, everybody was doing it right and the customers for the most part, I mean, you get a bozo here every, every here and there, but you're gonna get that anywhere. But the customers bought, and that's the thing is what, what I loved about it is my customers believed in me because they knew that I followed the science and didn't take the people's opinions about it and just said, hey, this is what's safe. This is I would let my children bowl here, so I'm definitely going to let you bowl here. And I'm going to trust that you're out doing the right thing. And that's all I can, and that's all any of us can, can really do. 
But to be, like I said, to be targeted and singled out is just, it's frustrating because there's no reason for it. Now, if there was a huge super spreader event where we opened all the bowling centers and half the league bowlers got COVID and yeah, okay, I can see that. But I've been to a couple of bars just passing through talking to some owners that I know and I'm looking at the bars and the patrons in the bar going, these guys are doing nothing. There's 30 people, there's four people deep at the bar, nobody's wearing masks or anything. Okay, freedom, America, okay, whatever. But I think you'd have a much better chance of catching it there than you would sitting at a table with four people, six feet apart from four other people, and you're on the approach all by yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, common sense is getting, that movie I, I posted the other night, that movie Idiocracy by Mike Judge is becoming, it was a comedy, it's becoming a documentary. <laughs> Because it's just, you just shake your head, and then what do you do? You take care of your family the best you can, and like you said, hope for the best. And it's just, they they say a dark winter. I'm just, I, it's just not. You want to keep us closed, fine. Provide us with something to keep us closed. You want to pay the bills, fine. Go ahead. I'll stay closed for a year if I have to, but uh, I can't do that without some help. And yep. then to, to have people. And the other thing is to have like the, the federal money that was available because the state really didn't provide a whole lot of anything to anybody. But on the federal level, the money that was made available wasn't the majority of it wasn't grant money. We were we were forced to take I was forced to take to take a loan. So now I have this loan over my head and it's not just chargeable in bankruptcy because it's a federal loan. So if I lose the business, the feds going to say, hey, Brian, uh, you still owe us this money, bud. Uh, what, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah, I filed bankruptcy. Ah, oh, yeah, that doesn't that doesn't work. So, cry. I mean, cry preaching to the choir. But you force someone to borrow money in a situation where this was going to be our and it, the the timing couldn't be any worse. This was the first year because I had a ten year plan and I got there in nine years. This was the first year I was actually going to be able to put more money in my pocket than from the vending machines. Because we were gonna we were gonna turn a little bit of a profit. I mean, I would have put it back in the center probably, but um, to have those legs cut out and not be able to to fight for it is just, in my opinion, it's it's I hate to use the word, but it's borderline tyrannical. Okay, we're almost uh, an hour and fifteen minutes, okay. and one last question, and we'll wrap this up. Um, so you you've listened to my podcast, you've heard the amount of bowlers that did not come back this year. What did you guys experience here? Yep. We were down about 40%, and I didn't expect, I knew it was going to be a big number. I didn't necessarily expect that big of a number, um, so I was kind of surprised a little bit, but the nice thing is because the center is so small and our community is so small, I know probably 95% of our bowlers on a personal basis. Um, it's kind of like, I'm kind of like Norm from Cheers, so I was able to talk to all of them and get a real understanding on why um, they didn't want to come back. And I didn't ask them. I mean, I didn't say, hey, why aren't you coming back? Um, the ones that basically said, listen, I love you. I'll, I'll send you some money. But I just can't do it for this reason, this reason, this reason. Okay, great. I, I, don't, I don't hold that against you for any reason. And some of them didn't know. I got a couple of them back because they were hell-bent about even walking in the door. And some of them said, what are you doing? I said, well, here, let me tell you what I'm doing. I sent them some pictures, texted them some pictures. Hey, this is what we've done. And they said, wow, I didn't, I didn't know you were doing all that. I, I, I could do that. I can come in. Okay, great. Come on in. 
So you're using every other pair? We're not using every other pair on the leagues that we can't because the space is so limited. Um, I didn't have that option. Um, but like Thursday night went from five men to four men on our men's league. And we went from 14 teams to um, 11. I'm sorry, eight. Eight. And we just picked up a ninth. And our ladies team went, league went from 13 teams to eight. So the space in the center, although we can't use every other pair, we did PBA style for a while. Uh, it confused a lot of people, and they were. I mean, the first night, I, I I listened to this on one of your podcasts. The first night, I'm looking at my watch, going, "It's 10:30, and we're in the third frame of the third game." What? I mean, bar sales were great, and I had to drive a couple people home. But I'm like, we gotta figure out a better way to do this. And luckily, I got the majority of them to buy into saying, "Hey, pop your mask on when you walk up to the approach, and pop it down, and then." That way we're not two different tables at the approach at the same time. Yep. And it really worked. I mean, it got better pretty quick when people figured out what to do. But a lot of the teams would bowl. I mean, you've seen this on your leagues, and I'm sure anybody, any bowler listening to this saw this, where the one team would bowl on the right and then wait for the last guy before they bowl. I'm like, dude. Yeah. And I would even yell at my brother. I'm like, get on the other lane. Yeah. Bowl. We were yelling, too. Yeah. And, I what mean, are you waiting for? Yeah, no. it's, it's It just confuses people, and then they feel like they're rushed. Yeah. But then the problem is, you and I listened to this on your podcast too. You're waiting at one point. I mean, I don't get six in a row a whole lot. So when I get six in a row, I'm in a I'm in a groove. Yeah. And I timed it, and it was 22 minutes between shots. I'm going, yeah. I'm, that's what I did. Listen, I'm a I'm fat man. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm stiff. I'm old. I got a knee brace on. I can't, I can't wait that. Of course, I tugged the hell out of it, and I think I picked up three pins. I'm going. <laughs> And I can't really blame anybody for it, but at the same time, I said, there's got to be a better way to do it. So we were able to kind of coach up our clientele on how to do it safely, where they were able to move around and do some different things, and especially going from five to four. Uh, we got it down to about three hours, which is the fastest we've ever pulled. That's, that's a good idea. Go, go to a four-man team. I'm, yeah, because we, we had a hard time filling the, the, the guys would call me and say, hey, I'm having a hard time finding a fifth. I'm pushing. Uh, and I just said, I would love to see this. This is not the year to do it. Maybe next year. I would love to see a four-man team bowl the high school format. See, and do the it's two so Baker funny. Games. It's so funny you said that. You could do the two Baker games yep. and bowl twenty frames Baker, and just rotate who bowls. So you'd have, you know, your leadoff guy would be the anchor. Um, I've, I've kind of thrown that idea out there to some people, and they're like. We really like that idea. There's a lot of kids coming from high school yep. that would enjoy a league like that afterwards. Plus, guys like me who are getting a little older, I don't want to bowl three games. Right. I don't have to. Yeah. I'm the same. I'm the Two same games way. Is great. And especially, I'm always when I'm bowling. I'm always. I always joke that I want to bowl in another center just to enjoy league bowling again. Because when I'm bowling, something's always wrong. Oh yeah. And everybody comes to me, and I'm happy to do it. But I think the worst is last year. I was, I had ten first time I've had 10 in a row in forever and I was literally in my backswing and a lady came out of the approach and told me she had Deadwood oh. she's like oh you weren't busy were you I said no 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 I, I wasn't I was just gonna throw this ball but I'll, I'll go get the pin real quick and my, my team was just like what, what I'm like don't just that's the, the the price I pay for for being who I am but um I love the format, and Fred and, I, Fred and I have had long conversations about that. Just about if you don't adapt to what's there, you won't necessarily make it. I so think you could draw some younger. Oh, kids absolutely, to come because in. it gives them. It's not three games. Yeah, I mean, they, it gets a little, especially for kids these days. It gets. I mean, my kids come in, and rattle off five, six games with 
by themselves. But if we put them together, by the end of the middle of the second game, they're like, this this sucks. Yeah, I need I need something else to do. I'm I'm bored. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it I think it and the four man teams work great for us because uh, number one we have four chairs, so they like that. But it's just it's quicker now. The bar hurts a little bit because we're bowling a little faster. So, and I'm making the majority of what I need to make out of the bar. But we usually do stuff after, like after league, because especially now we're done so early. Like I'll run little little games here and there, like after bowling. We'll everybody throws in five bucks, and we'll do the 26 lane challenge, or we'll do mystery doubles where you're bowling but you don't know who your partner is, and we can give away a little prize money, stuff like that. So they stick around. So that it, sounds cool. Yeah, it works out all right. Okay, an hour and 20 minutes in. Um, I appreciate you sitting down with me. Yeah, appreciate uh, what you do. Your stuff you got, is good stuff. You got a lot of uh, bowling knowledge here, and, and I foresee us sitting down doing this again. Let's hope that uh, things open back up. And yeah, cross your fingers. Up. Yeah, so thank you very much. I appreciate it, and uh, have a great day.